Welcome everyone to First Principles Podcast. This is the episode on the Green New Deal. So let's just jump right into it. The Green New Deal is a House resolution that was passed back in 2019, um, but I won't get into it beyond much more detail than that. I'll let Elliot take over on uh, the details of the Green New Deal. So the Green New Deal, like Catrice said, um, was tried. To, they tried to pass it in February of 2019. And what they were trying to do in this bit of um, legislation, would you call it? Bill? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Well, what it calls for is decisive and deliberate public investment to tackle climate change and other social challenges, particularly inequality. And um, let me just read you what the resolution was, because I think that that sets us off on the right page. So the resolution here was recognizing the duty of the federal government, and this is the U.S. federal government, to create a Green New Deal. And so what this um, multi-page document outlines is, first, it describes the problems that we're facing in the areas of climate change and social economics and equality. And specifically, it Um, references this special report on global warming of 1.5 degrees that was issued by the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, back in November 2018, as this is the fourth national climate assessment report that they issued. And this one really outlines a lot of model results on the damages, both economically and environmentally, that will result from climate change if it's not dealt with. The second part is an outline of socioeconomic problems, um, which I won't get into right now. But then past the description of the problem scenario, they define 10 goals, 10 goals that um, look to address the problems that they they identified. And then it concludes with a very broad general strategy to meet those goals, all based around a time frame of 10 years, if I remember correctly. Um, And that, in a nutshell, is what this Green New Deal is all about. Now, this is not the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is something that comes after this, but it's it's a request to the government to formulate something, to formulate a Green New Deal based around the principles of this document. Wait, so you're saying there's actually like more details to this than what's they've of what they've already written in House Resolution 109? Well, just from the very beginning, it says it's the duty of the federal government to create a Green New Deal. So to me, this is a request to create a, like a, a Green New Deal based on the principles outlined in this, which we call the Green New Deal. I might be wrong okay. on this, but right. I just want to make sure that, that like, like, and this is the Green New Deal that is proposing. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. And um, the Green New Deal, it's like a spin off of the New Deal, right? Um, that whole investment that FDR had back in the U.S. post-World War One, when it was the Great Economic Depression of the time. And it's kind of like a reference of, of that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the New Deal was all the economic stimulus packages that FDR had put into the economic system of the United States at the time being in order to uh, theoretically help push them out of the depression. Now I say theoretically because there have been studies that have actually shown that the extra spending that was done by FDR and his government 
during the, the, the New Deal and in order to get the United States out of the economic depression, actually prolonged the, the depression by about eight years. Um, and it, what that's what's funny about this is that this is a continuation of that whole premise as well, the Green New Deal. So essentially taking all of the New Deal uh, elements of the social equality, so on and so forth, labor rights, all that good stuff, and then tying a facade of environmentalism on top of it, mm. which is maybe where my biggest criticism of, of this uh, resolution comes, is that from the, from the onset, from the facade, they make it seem as though it's a, a means towards greater environmental sustainability. However, with that, it is tied into essentially an omnibus package style of resolution where you have environmentalism, but it's also a whole bunch of labor union rights. It's a whole bunch of job guaranteed security. It's a whole bunch of uh, reparations. It's a whole bunch of equality, equity type of stuff, social justice type of stuff. And that's when you're really diluting for me, you're diluting the message as somebody that's pro the environmental sustainability message, okay, you have me on board. But then when that primary message is muddied and filtered and diluted, and now we're losing concentration, now we're trying to do this shotgun approach where we're trying to do all these different things in this one thing, and their logic would be that we can't do one without the other. Right? That's, what, that's what they would say, is that you can't look at environmentalism uh, in isolation from social rights, from labor rights, from all this stuff. So from their point of view, it's inevitably, intricately, that's a word, uh, interco interconnected with one another. But I, I don't agree with that fundamental premise, and that has not been shown by them. Um, and of course, yeah, people, it's, it's pretty much saying, yeah, poor people struggle the most. That, yeah. No, no shit. Poor people struggle the most. This is true. This is true. Poor people are going to be hit by the worst by economic depression. Yes, th th this is true, uh, which is fundamentally what it's saying. So it's, it's not really bringing anything new when it's tying into the fact that, oh, these environmental issues are de facto tied to social uh, well-being and things of that nature. Well, yeah, you know, all, everything impacts people differently. Now, like, but there's no uh, further logic that's pervade after the fact in order to alleviate the issue or even actually connect it on a really tangible level. They just kind of say it. It's, it's all connected, uh, but without actually proving it in a scientific manner. Um, yeah. But that's like really broad level stuff, like my, my view on things. And it's really hot over here, so I'm already sweating, but <laughs> we're going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's 32 degrees out. Yeah, 32 I, you degrees, know. yeah. It's going to get hot. It's going to get hot in here. <laughs> okay. Hot topic, hot weather. So that that's my general thoughts uh, thoughts on it. I don't know if there was anything. I want to jump that. in there because okay. I want to talk about this omnibus package because um, uh, I've been thinking about this a bit more. And um, I want to start by saying, okay, so when we look at combining um, two maybe independent topics together on a bill that you're trying to pass in government, um, one could argue I don't think this is a right argument, but you know, there's so much going on. We got to bundle all these things together to try to get, get things passed because if we did, we dealt with each one individually, it would take forever. Well, hold up here because as it is, 
with the partisan politics in the U.S. and even here in Canada, it's hard to get anything by, uh, and let alone two large, very large topics, one to deal with climate change and one to deal with uh, this social justice, equality, socioeconomics. To have these combined together is problematic in that it, it's not going to let anyone go to forward because for, if you have an issue with environment, um, then you know you might uh, you might take tasks with what they're talking about the environment and there is issues with what they talk about in the environment which I'll get into or if you have issues with the other part of it you're gonna you're gonna stop this bill so it's not beneficial to have this bill go forward in this combined fashion for, first off and I but I I get why they did it because I think what they tried to do was combine forces of the environmental minded people and the people on the lower income side of the distribution or socioeconomic side of the distribution. Now, these are two distinct camps. Yeah, they're, they might not be completely mutually exclusive. There might be overlap. There might be poor people that, that are concerned about the environment that are going to love everything in this bill. But, you know, there is probably, like us, we might agree with some of the environmental things, have issue. Well, wait, wait, I mean, I think I'm going to have some issues with the environment. I'm sure you're going to have yeah, to. Yeah, of but, course, of course. Um, you know, so the, in an attempt to combine forces to maybe – uh, uh, you know, have the popular opinion to push this forward. They actually shot themselves in the foot because I think this was created in a in a liberal bubble where they kind of just they thought this was popular opinion, but they <laughs> are so lost in what is actual uh, uh, the opinion of a lot of people because they're still confused why Trump won the election. Mm -hmm. So I mean, um, anyways, my thought about the omnibus is yeah, it's it was a it's a bad approach, but I was thinking like I kind of get why why you know who aoc and this group of, of of democratic individuals put it forward in this this sense coming from trying to combine forces of the environmental movement and and the low income you know people that feel they've been treated unfairly and have mm -hmm. been treated unfairly i'm not saying they haven't been but those two forces together yeah no i think that's a great analysis actually because what it really shows is that they had these uh, preconceived ideas already in stock, uh, such as the ideas of labor unions and, you know, um, uh, fair living wage and guaranteed jobs. These things were already being pushed by this group of people. And what they then did was, okay, let's just bundle it up with this other fad that's also happening with environmentalism and greater concern from the community, from the, the global community at large about it. And let's tie in the stuff that we already wanted, being the labor stuff, being the equality stuff, the social justice stuff, and tie it into this uh, ribbon of environmentalism, which again, to me, makes it seem very disingenuous as towards what is the actual goal of the um the propositions being put at uh, being put forward mm -hmm. is it more in environmental uh, sustainability which i'm on board for or is it your previous notions that you have subtly snuck in there that everybody knew you already wanted but you just put under the guise of environmentalism for example guaranteeing jobs to every single person in the country like to me that's purely a communist socialist um type of rhetoric type of promise to people that we are going to guarantee a job to every single person in 
our community. So that is something that it is explicitly a, a communist, and, and I'm not even exaggerating here when, when I'm saying communist and socialist, because that's literally what communism and socialism calls for, is that guaranteed jobs for every single individual. So when you're tying in your these ideas of environmentalism, and then on top of that, all this stuff about guaranteed high-paying jobs, then we, we have these two different um, ideologies kind of crashing into one another. And I think you're right, they were shooting themselves in the foot by making this too wide. And that's why since its proposition back about a year ago, it, uh, it hasn't been actually uh, voted upon because they know that nobody will like vote for this thing. <laughs> However, I think given the current climate, global climate in the US, I can see something with like Green New Deal being rewritten and coming back with changes in the popular opinion about how they're going to approach this, but basically combining the two camps again in a new attempt that addresses some of the nuanced feelings that they're, that are coming out of the U.S. based on, on these protests and Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. I could definitely see. Yeah, they, could, they could try to retie everything back in because... Uh, all the stuff that's happening, the social unrest in the U.S. now, it really does tie into some of the stuff that they talk about in terms of historical racial inequality. And yeah, they, they very well might re, redraft up a new version of the Green New Deal. But let's keep on looking at the one that's in front of us. Um, sure, but in sure. terms of more details on uh, just I made a list of some things I agree with and some things I disagree with, because there are some things I do agree with in, yeah. in this thing. It's not total uh, flaming heap of garbage. <laughs> So some of it is uh, acceptable, but other stuff is, is not. So let's just get into that in more, more detail. Um, so what, one thing that it mentions off the bat is that there will be lost economic output due to environmental catastrophes, disasters happening at an increased rate. And I think there, there is good uh, like evidence for that, that perhaps there will be greater storm events which could lead to um, further demand on our infrastructure than was previously anticipated, which which would lead to damage and then uh, spending and uh, environmental relief. So you know there's some some merit to those types of claims, and then investing in infrastructure as a result, so that the infrastructure it is old, it is decaying. A lot of the infrastructure in North America was built in the 60s, 70s. So you're looking at things that are now like 40, 50 years old. So they're does have to be some sort of uh, improvement in the infrastructure, which which I do agree with uh, as well, uh, for the for the public good. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and then and then we talk about uh, clean air, water, health, food, healthy food. Okay, great. Um, but my question is, why is this point D on your list of resolutions? Uh, this is a climate bill, yet point B is create millions of good high wage jobs, and yet point D. So two points afterwards, that's when you start to mention clean air and water. I, again, it's just like the hierarchy. Yeah. What? What? what is, like <laughs> again? I guess the truth wants to come out. Yeah. It's it's the remnants of the the New Deal. I guess you know the FDR just spend ridiculous sums of money. Like let the government just be the 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 people that decide okay you're worthy of money you're worthy of money you get money some oprah shit you get money you get money you get money well, yeah as and and that's what yeah. this is all based on it's all based on government control the government gets to decide who's worthy who's not worthy they they get to deem they are the ultimate judges they are the executioners and they are the juries that's what this really comes down to hmm. 
Um, so then they talk about, you know, using smart power grids. Great. Uh, totally for using smart power grids. But then they say that smart power grids in conjunction with elect with um, green energy, such as solar and wind, need to provide 100% of the energy production by 2030. So in 10 years, totally based off of smart grids. And smart grids, are at like, okay, exist, but they haven't been proven on a large scale uh, perspective, on a large scale application. First of all, uh, let alone for it to be applied on large scale in ten years to the largest scale in terms of like the the biggest economy in the world. Can uh, I break down what a smart grid is in general sense? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I'm, yeah. Yes, yeah, smart grid would just be essentially a grid that's based off of much more communication of information between the demand of power, so the the appliances that are demanding power and the signals that sends to the um, power generation sources. So it's a much more decentralized form of um, power generation, where as opposed to the old previous method where we would have one giant um, power plant uh, from which all the power would be sent. Now it's kind of, we. the, the theory of smart grids is that it would be uh, demand-based um, on a much more proactive level um, so that there would be smart metering, for example, and we would have real-time data uh, show, uh, representing where the demands are and the grid would be able to uh, appropriate the energy coming from example from solar and directing it to the locations that are uh, requesting it on a real-time basis yeah so it's uh, much more sophisticated in, in that sense but again it hasn't been really done uh, on, a, on a large scale there's been some uh, tests I believe for certain city blocks mm -hmm. so like you're talking about something that currently has been applied on the city block level not even at the full city level and you're saying by 2030 let's have this and uh green energy for the whole power supply 100 percent. it's just like when you start talking like that that's when you really with without the mention of nuclear power by by the way so it's like when you're taking out nuclear power uh from the equation it's um you're, 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 you're creating an yeah. impossible goal to achieve mm -hmm. right from the beginning. And yeah. so you're doomed to fail. Yeah. Or, or, or not doomed to fail. Yes, you're doomed to fail. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're starting off with a, with a handicap, essentially, mm -hmm. like for, for, for no real good reason. Like, well, they course. didn't want to say nuclear because they knew it was the buzzword that would, if they mentioned nuclear, they weren't going to get the, the, the camp of people that are anti-nuclear to exactly. sign on to this. So they just exactly. kind of... Left Which goes out. back to the whole, oh, let's try to get as many groups of people like in this one thing, uh, like all at once, as opposed to having a centralized message that everybody can agree on, right? Instead of going for that, where there's a central unifying message, as opposed to that, they're like, okay, let's throw this in so that this group comes in. And let's throw this in so that these group of people come in. And let's throw this in so then we get this group <laughs> yeah. of people come in. And then, like, so it's like, how this, many this, people like, can we get? All right, then let's do something for this group, for this group. And like, all right, we got something for everyone. Hey, you get a little, I get a little, you get a little something, you get a little something. And then I love how the people are like, oh, she's like AOC, she's like the, the new wave, new generation of like, holy, wow, this girl's the new generation. Okay, we, we're in some serious trouble. We're in some serious trouble. Holy. Uh, and we're going to get into some of the hypocrisies of AOC, which I have uh, actually outlined here. Um, 
which I'll which I'll uh, get into actually uh, right now. But one of the things that is talked about is uh, overhauling the transportation system and mm. removing pollution greenhouse gases uh, in transportation, so cars, so okay, electric vehicles, hmm, let's see, who's the biggest electric vehicle producer in the US and also the world? That's Tesla, Elon Musk, that's, that's, you know, that's the dude, he's killing it. And what does AOC, the person that has put forward House Resolution 109, the Green New Deal done to Elon Musk, she's essentially told Tesla that they have taken advantage of the system. She has essentially called Tesla uh, just another giant billionaire corporation that takes advantage of its workers. And in the resolution, they talk about promoting um, green electric vehicles. So you would think that she would try to harbor good relationships with the biggest electric vehicle manufacturer in the world. Yet, it's not enough to have the biggest electric manufacturer in the world in your country. No, that's not enough. It, you, you also need them to do their work exactly how you want them to do it. Mm. That's how this is starting to combine, start, starting to feel. Because you're saying, okay, I want more electric vehicles, and yet the company that's providing the most electric vehicles, you are criticizing them for taking advantage of the economic system within uh, within uh, the United States. Now, Tesla has received a lot of grants from the government um, and from car carbon programs, cap and trade programs, but those are parts of the program that they have fairly used in order to get financing. Now, does that mean that they have now a debt to pay? I mean, it's all within the, the, the limitations of the agreement within which they receive the money. You can't give somebody money and then after the fact say, well, hey, we actually wanted a stake in ownership. This is literally what's happening is that well, you're, they're giving away money and then saying, oh, by the way, um, that money, we actually want like part ownership in your company. Like what? You can't just go back after the fact, after you give them money and then change the deal, uh, change the whole circumstance of things. Like these people are so just asinine with the level of control that they want. And that's what really it comes down to. It's like, it's just control. I want to control you. That's what it comes down to. That's what all communism comes down to. Bow down to my will. If not, you are an ignorant fascist and you deserve to be stopped at all costs. And this is, this is literally it. Even, even somebody that is trying to purvey the very thing that you're trying to do, you would think that they would be glove in hand working together. And yet you're criticizing, again, the company that's trying to help out the industry that you are trying to push. The, the criticism to clarify, is not in the Green New Deal from AOC. She she was speaking yeah. about Tesla in another yeah. way, right? So of was, course. Was it, this to do with the COVID? Like some article. Well, no, no. It, it, it was an article before before uh, COVID stuff. Before COVID. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. was an article before COVID. I'm not surprised. I, well, I don't know what the saying is, but part of the saying is like, and it's a generalization, but yeah. it's like conservatives give money and liberals give money too, but they ask for like a bunch of strings attached. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it's like, exactly. and so to your point, um, you know, here, let, let me say this about, about the criticism. Cause I, I actually didn't, uh, I haven't heard it specifically from AOC, but what I would think is that you have, you have two, um, competing, um, ideas on how to do transportation uh in on a on a small scale like on to the vehicle level right you have the old school you know uh, gas combustion engines 
that have been given so many, so much help from the government in the past and have done things um, in ways that contradict a lot of these liberal values or, or ideals. And then you have a company that's trying to do something a little bit better or, or better, more better, more better than <laughs> a word, just better. Um, and I would think it's not fair, <laughs> you know, to, 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 to be like, to give, be so critical of them in their attempt to do that thing, which is, you know, being competed by, by a much bigger, bigger beast. Like the actual gas uh, industry right now is still outweighs the pound by pound. It's just the heavyweight, in, yeah, in exactly. the, you know, in there. So it, um, you know, are you, are you fairly criticizing both to the same level? And if you're not, it's like, what are you doing? I don't know. That's and, and not only that, but even the auto manufacturers of combustion vehicles, like they have improved the vehicle technology substantially. And that's a large part due to the increased um, demands from environmental regulations, from EPA, for example, um, that that demand that the concentrations from the combustion uh, products are lower and lower. So it's not like there hasn't been any improvement in, in that sense. No. Um, uh, for e even for the combustion, the traditional mm -hmm. combustion engine uh, vehicles, I think they are able to adapt. It's just there has to be the, the right motivation for them in order to make that change. Uh, but right. just to get into another one of those um, hypocrisies of AOC is... And maybe I don't know. I don't want to get too sidetracked with with uh, all, all, all this stuff. But <laughs> all right, I guess I set it up. <laughs> but I just found it uh, funny that again uh, she was criticizing the auto industry. Hey, we have to um, you know give people access to public transportation. We uh, and then for example, she was criticizing also Uber for taking and rideshare companies for taking advantage of uh, the whole rideshare program and which as a result has led to decreased earnings for for taxi cabs right for the mm. traditional taxis so um what was funny about that though is that even though she's been critical of uber she actually spent about four thousand dollars on 160 different ride shares in california from april to june um you know again um using uber as opposed to a traditional taxi so it's like or, <laughs> or, or another critical politician stuff 2500 do another thing exactly yeah. exactly it, it's it's always easy to to criticize it's yeah. always easy to say hey you should do this you should do that but that's what happens with these socialists these these communists they never live up to the standard that they expect others to live up to mm -hmm. and that is when you know you are dealing with somebody that is disingenuous and not uh, truly out to have a legitimate conversation when they themselves aren't taking the advice that they're giving out then you know you're dealing with a scam artist um so that though that's my subtle thoughts on on aoc not so subtle yeah <laughs> <laughs> i believe you're calling her a communist <laughs> yeah yeah well she calls herself a democratic socialist so right, there's right. nothing new no. uh, and people for the people that say socialism is communism it's the same thing it's state ownership of the means of production and services state ownership so it means the state owns everything not people not you and me it's the government that owns everything and that's exactly what these people want 
Um, did you want to talk about some other sp specifics? Uh, that, that yeah, we're kinda, sure. Like, I'll, into jump, it? I'll jump into um, some of my thoughts on the opening of the Green New Deal, which talks about the um, uh, the damages economically and environmentally uh, that will come as a result of climate change of the 1.5 degree increase if we don't do anything right, mm -hmm. and. It might not come as no surprise because I think we've been critical of models on past episodes. But what I I look at this now after going through the models, see, after seeing the how models shape the decisions around COVID, and it just it just mm -hmm. compiles with my my you know even pa before before that even before COVID models and how they are used to shape the the political decisions. I, I worry, so I worry here that, again, we're looking at terrible exaggerations with uncertainties on these numbers that aren't explicitly talked about here. And so, again, we're, we got this very, this goes back to, like, th the, these reports are being, are, are fueling the eco-anxiety that the Greta Nation is, is, <laughs> is, uh, is you know, um, going, through. going through, right? And I just... If you, you know, think about how off models can be, you know, this is um, uh, irresponsible in some regards to, uh, you know, and anyways, we could, I haven't personally gone through the model and I think it's a beast to go through the model of, of that institution and that, you know, that panel and what they're using to even get it. But I just, I look at that with a very suspicious eye and, and, uh, come at that angle now it's not to say that i don't believe in climate change and i want to actually speak a little bit about my thoughts on climate change because i don't think we've really delved that deep into it on the show um so in in a brief summary of my thoughts i wanted to start by talking about um something that we we learned early but i'll reiterate it here um in a general sense so i wanted to just talk about um the volume of gases in dry air, okay? Uh, no, uh, so in dry air, we have about 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and about 0.9 argon, okay? So what, what's left? And these are, these are rough numbers, but there's a little 0.1% there that is a mix of other gases. And in that 0.1% is our CO2. And immediately, I think anybody who hears those numbers goes, but aren't we putting all the CO2 into the atmosphere? Like, what, what the hell? Yeah. You know? And this is the problem. And here's what I want people to think about. Okay, so that's dry air. So here's another thing to throw in. Before I get back to the CO2, let's talk about air is not dry. Most of the time, it's filled with humidity. And that's water vapor is one of those greenhouse gases that people just kind of ignore. But it, it's there because it's kind of like this thing that the water cycle happens in the background, right? But, you know, effectively, humidity in air acts in a, in, as a greenhouse gas in a sense uh, and plays a role. But this is constantly changing with... Uh, time and altitude in our atmosphere and so when we look at the carbon too I you know it's a small small layer but it's kind of like the the e-coating that you can get on a window so you have like a window a two two pane pieces of glass okay it only has like an insulation of um for anybody who knows how insulation goes, there's a, you know you have an R value of two and the lower the R value the less in insulative it is you put a small, you know, less than a hair thickness layer of e-coating 
on that on that frame and suddenly that can jump up to a four or five it can double so it's 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 not obvious by the volume amount of co2 that its effect is proportional small amount small layer has a magnifying proportional impact so and these happen a lot of these things happen in, in environmental systems so yeah and and do we still not understand fully how the carbon cycle works no we don't and i was reading actually recently up on um these satellites so there's a couple of missions and nasa's doing the oc uh oco2 and oco3 that are, are like measuring in real time carbon um concentrations in the atmosphere and how they are distributed across the world and that japan's doing something similar with the gosat and we're still learning a lot about how 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 where where this carbon layer is thickest and highest in concentration and what piece of parts of land are because the other thing is we have this huge dynamic system of wind patterns all across our atmosphere that that have in some senses um you know generally uh predictable directions but there's also all this mixing that happens and and so it's it's a very complex even to model it it's very complex um because the computation power is it, just so vast and then the other thing i wanted to say about carbon dioxide which a lot of people who know that uh, who have done any environmental research know that once it gets into the atmosphere, it can last for 300 to 1,000 years up there. Um, so my question is, I've kind of between my, you know, schooling, my research now, my opinion is, okay, climate change is happening. Climate change is happening for two reasons. There is a climate change that happens that predates man, um, that is in the background here in my in my head. But then there is man is impacting to the degree i'm not too sure but it doesn't even seem conceivable to me that you can have 7.7 .7 billion people on this planet and and when you look at the industrial scale we're doing things and you look at how uh, subtle shifts can cause massive change on environmental systems that we are not doing um anything i think we're doing actually i, I would i would you know i'm just being speculating here but i think it, you could say it's 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 within a range that's higher than 50% of our impact right now in compared with the other other you know percentage basically being made up by um, these other natural climate movements that are changing um, so yeah uh, I'm not you know a climate change denier is I guess the point that I want to <laughs> publicly put out here and there's still but there's still lots to learn here and I th and I just wanted to caution there about models and the numbers um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, it's important to, to note that models are, you know, what, like, what is the definition of a model? A model is trying to recreate the real world, keyword trying to, which means that it's not actually the real world. So we always have to be mindful that the model that we see that we're estimating is trying to recreate the world, but that's based on a set of inputs. A, a, a set of assumptions that aren't always accurate and are generally not accurate actually as a matter of fact so when we have these models we always have to remember that there's error bars associated with them that these numbers of 1.5 degrees celsius this is not an absolute because that would imply that your model is absolutely 100 percent accurate which is i can i can say absolutely 100 percent not true uh, because I have looked at these models, I understand what comprises them, and I understand that the level of uncertainty within them is extremely high. That's when we have these absolute numbers that are given to us, oh, we have 10 years 
to for 1.5 degrees Celsius. It's like these exact numbers are fables. <laughs> they're not they're they're they're, they're myths. Mm. And the more and more that you try to purvey them as absolute truths, the more you lose people again in the conversation because yes, people like know pe people aren't stupid people realize models aren't 100 percent accurate people realize that your models especially isn't 100 percent accurate and for you to be touting it as being so 100 percent exact and people just tune out and they don't have ve uh, very much interest in uh, having a conversation with somebody that's being disingenuous ultimately right because i feel like the more we see models used get it wrong but but see but have people in power making decisions off them and not admitting that they were wrong or or they made a mistake the more models will become like the boy that cried wolf and every time somebody hears about some model did this everybody's gonna be like Gee, you lost people me. are gonna roll their eyes yeah yeah uh, they're gonna be like oh what about this model what about that model without taking into consideration that yeah models are just tries they are uh, estimates they are people trying to estimate the the real world and if the people that are using them as tools aren't honest with that fact and transparent with that fact about models that hey these models are actually not 100 accurate and they are our best estimates but they are changing based on the data that is input into them then there would actually be a more honest conversation that's taking place but what but that's not happening which implies that these politicians or whoever that are trying to use these models are more so using it as a as a tool in order to get some sort of message across without the nuance without the subtleties that are necessary to actually have a full dialogue about it which is which is uh just shows that like they don't think that we're smart enough to actually have that conversation or something yeah which is like very uh patronizing and, and kind of comes oh. off as condescending yeah very you know um yeah. And especially when you have stuff like clean manufacturing that is written, just going back to the details of the Green New Deal, mm. one of the things that is pointed out is clean manufacturing. Okay, great, clean manufacturing. Now, what does that mean? Absolutely no idea. There is absolutely no uh, detail as to what that means, what clean manufacturing means. It, okay, sequestering carbon, sure, that may be one aspect of it, but... Manufacturing has so many different pollutants when it comes to um, your, your, you know, metals or nutrients or physicals and clean manufacturing like that can mean so much. Like, what does that mean? Again, um, another impossible task, because to your point, there's so many waste streams between your air, your wa wastewater, your your solid waste. All of these have have to be dealt with. So, you know. To, to make something perfectly clean again it i guess it it's so vague that it almost seems like okay it's like as much what? as technologically feasible like mm. what does that mean and, right oh, yeah because like, there's a lot of things that are technologically feasible are you going to throw billions and billions of dollars of, just, of making sure that zero pollution and complete utter recycling is happening at a point source plant you know it's it's not going to happen and so that's like technologically feasible and economically feasible mm. <laughs> and just like is it even that important in the big scheme to not hyper focus on trying to achieve that at that level when you can actually be doing x y and z at these other locations that will have a more magnifying benefit than than turn and that's my issue too with them trying to i think at one point they say let's update all houses to the best 
efficiency possible. Yeah. Whoa, that is all buildings. Imagine doing that in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It says literally every single building in the country to update that to high energy, top of the line efficiency standards. And again, it's really just wishful thinking at best let me like actually read it so we don't get hung mm -hmm. up on on misquoting uh so it's uh upgrading all existing buildings in the united states and building and building new buildings to achieve maximum energy efficiency water efficiency safety affordability comfort durability including through electrification so using primarily power powered by by electricity uh, i think i wrote here bad word choice for and mm -hmm. i put i circled the word maximum because a maximum in all those areas in energy efficiency in water efficiency in safety and affordability comfort comfort wow see what one thing when you get into wow. engineering is that you realize that there is no maximum on every single thing that you're trying to do see you you have a balancing act that you have to do where you're trying to balance out varying interests and your goal is to do the best you can with what you have which means you're not going to get the maximum of anything but what you're trying to do is optimize based on what you do mm. have so you uh, so sometimes you might have money but you might not have time mm. you know, you, you, so you have to optimize you optimize. can't you can't maximize everything how are you going to maximize it? it's impossible sometimes when you when you optimize for treating one pollutant you de-optimize for treating another pollutant yes, yes. Yeah. This is this is a flaw that can happen in treatment systems where you overly focus on treating one specific pollutant X, and due to the steps that you've taken to treat that pollutant, that's going to actually reduce the capacity to treat another pollutant. So there is no maximum anything, which just shows me that the people writing this like have no idea what the hell they're talking about on a technical level. It was a bunch of. I don't know. You know, people not that aren't in in science and engineering clearly that wrote this. So I criticized it um, initially, uh, thinking, who did they consult for this? But then, like, did they even do any type of consultation to academics, to the engineering, to the anybody in the STEM field? And that, but I did, I did see doubtful, doubtful, doubtful for this draft. But I did see. So it was later on. They have a paragraph here. And it says, a Green New Deal must be developed through transparent and inclusive consultation, mm -hmm. collaboration, and partnership with frontline and valuable communities, labor unions, worker cooperatives, cooperatives, <clears throat> excuse me, civil society groups, academia, and business. Now, <laughs> business is last in there. Like business that. is last, and academia. They're gonna do is all also the work. They're gonna do all the work, but yet they're gonna be the last ones to be consulted. Uh, them and academia, on. which academia is the only one in here that actually really falls into the the, the STEM field, right? Of, I mean, labor unions, worker cooperatives, civil society groups, civil society groups. No, academia mm, yeah. could just be any like prof teaching history, or some other topic or some other random topic yeah. um okay yeah so clearly there's some issues with with uh the wording the, the technical feasibility yeah. aspirations of this uh, piece of legislation or this this proposition mm. um and, and again when it comes to a, a tangible environmental goals again if this is 
per, uh, like put forward as a green new deal this is how we're going to improve environmental sustainability and th then we come to tangible environmental goals okay so we have ensuring that public lands waters oceans are protected and that eminent uh and that eminent domain is not abused uh, sure, but it doesn't seem like the environment is a priority when you're talking. Well, this is point L. This is point L in your fucking in your list. Mm. So we're talking about environmental um, uh, cleaning up the environment, um, ensuring clean waters, clean air for future generations, and yet that's point L on your list when this is like one of the most tangible things that can actually be done, where we actually do have technologies proven technologies that can be used to treat um w w w whether it's wastewater or storm water or um in industrial wastewater or um whatever like um c combustion products you know we we do have means of doing this and um it's just it, but again it just doesn't seem like it's a priority it's like more of a pri priority to get these labor union laws across. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. again, for, from somebody that's like down with one side of the cause, but not with all these other things that are attached, we're really taken away from, from the message. I, I think too that what's unfortunate about it being placed so low on the priority list is it actually could be one of the most unifying points because- exactly because you know regardless of your who thoughts, doesn't want clean air that's it right like even if you water. don't believe in climate change i think most people can agree not breathing in polluted air is something they want having water have, you know having water they can fish in that's clean and, and not doesn't have pollution or or visible garbage in it you know um these are things that people's personal health is this could be unifying it's very unifying. Uh, characters or unifying factors that could be used that would bring together people from different sides of the aisle but yeah, as, as opposed to taking that and making that one of your primary goals it's all the way down down your list item number l clean water clean air okay number l. Per perfect l for cut your losses yeah <laughs> Um, so, I mean, again, some stuff that do agree with, but uh, other stuff, um, you know, that there, there are many other. So that, that was actually just a list of stuff that I agreed with. So now I want to get into stuff I disagree oh, with. Shit. <laughs> oh, shit. If, if, that's, <laughs> if that's a list of things you agree with, damn. <laughs> again, because it's like I, I agree with some of the stuff, but it's written in such a broad with with such broad brush strokes that yeah. it makes it hard to fully uh, take it seriously and believe that it's coming from an from an um, an honest place. Yeah, like, like for example, with statements like this, life expectancy is declining in the United States. And okay, for a statement like that, on? what's what's your time frame of reference? Yeah, right, right. Because if we look at it from the last hundred years, we know clearly that's not true. People a hundred years ago had a much lower life expectancy than now. But if you want to take a very small time frame of the last, I think in the last three or four years, there's been a slight decline in life expectancy by like a couple percentage points or something, mm. or like not mm. even. Mm -hmm. uh, but okay, you're going to use that as the basis of a catastrophe, of a crisis. Mm -hmm. Again, it's, it's very dis, dishonest and disingenuous when you make you come off, and that's one of the primary statements that used as the, the backbone 
upon which they build the rest of the Green New Deal, right? Because they essentially, the House Res Resolution 109, it starts with a bunch of uh, fundamental premises, and then based on those premises, it builds off these resolutions. So one of those fundamental premises is this, that life expectancy is declining. But again, what's your time frame of reference? Mm. Is it the la If it's just the last four years, then that's very disingenuous for you to say, oh, last four years has been a decline in life expectancy, so we're on an eminent catastrophe when you don't do the honest thing and look at the past 50, 60, 70, 100 years and take into consideration how life expectancy has actually increased. Yeah. Substantially. You, right. N not, not like uh, significantly, not like by a couple percentage points, but like doubling mm. uh, in, in some places. Yeah. You know if what? not I, more so, actually. So it's, it's funny because more I hear your thoughts on the Green New Deal, I, I think about you know your introduction there about how it's based on the new deal and and how there's that criticism of the new deal new deal wasn't as um effective as people remember it but it, it sounds to me that there is a, in the states they've romanticized the benefits of this new deal the same way Trump supporters have romanticized America being great at one point, or mm -hmm. how they're, and so it's like, yeah, I bet you the I bet you the New Deal was 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 good for some people, and that's and those people wrote about how good it was, but it probably wasn't good for others. And same way, America was great for some people in the past, but it was not very good for some others. And so it's like here we have from a democratic point of view. Uh, the this bit of bill coming on built on this, you know. Oh, okay, this is the you know romanticized thing, and I I guess that's to me is just speaks to the cherry the cherry picking of a thing of 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 information. So again, it goes mm -hmm. to it's like why didn't they look at a lot, like, what is the scale they're basing that statement of life expectancy going down? Mm -hmm. And I think it should be was it clearly stated what this time scale was? If it wasn't very no, disingenuous, it, it was not right? stated. So it's like because. That makes a big difference, I think. If you yeah. don't state that, you know, anybody who doesn't do the research goes and just takes that at face value, which it's like, yeah, never, life expectancy has <gasps> been going down. Oh, oh damn. No, why crazy? I didn't know that. Well, yeah, in the last like three, four years or something. But meanwhile, in the last 50 years, it's going up significantly more than anything that has gone down by. So it's just so dishonest when you're trying to approach your argument from those types of like mm. fundamental points like that's the fundamental premise upon which you're building your arguments like come on or you're tying in issues of wage stagnation okay wage stagnation has nothing to do with environmental issues um so the, again this is just another way to tie in your socioeconomic platform that you had already had before all this environmental stuff and just add a nice little bow tie of environmentalism on top of your socioeconomic um, issues that you already wanted to fix right. um, or wage stagnation, whatever it might be. Hmm. Talking about 1% of earners um, uh, how, and how they control um, pretty much all, all the spending power and... Um, economic justice that has to be coming from taking money from this 1% or something like that. It's like, what does the 1% have? Like, it's just so incoherent. Like, I don't know, like some of the stuff that comes out is just, uh, it, again, it's like, it's like they were trying to pander to all these different groups and they were like, okay, there's, um, we're going after the rich. So everybody that hates the rich, all the uh, Occupy Wall Street guys, 
come on our side. Um, we're going after environmentalism. So all the people that are pro-environmentalism, um, sustainable growth, come on our side. We're going uh, for, for healthy food. All the people that are pro-farming, um, uh, local farming and, and that, um, come on our side. It's just like, again, like they're just like trying to throw out all these different messages to pander to as many groups as possible, which just takes away again from that central message um, of a, a truly green policy that people from both sides of the aisle can, uh, can, can back. Which is which is just not taking place. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I feel like, oh, man, we could go down a, yeah, a rabbit so... hole talking about the non-environmental aspects of the Green New Deal. Yeah, and and that that fact in itself is why it's so problematic. And I think we talked about this right from the beginning. Is that you're tangling too many things together here. And if you want to get something passed, and you're really sincere about your interest in doing something good for the environment what you don't do is bundle it with a bunch of complex ideas that that will detriment it being passed so i again it's like it's a no-brainer to me this should if you truly were interested in the benefit of the environment then these things need to be dealt with on a separate basis there and separate i understand that they're interconnected because the environment our economic system and 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 the people that do the work we're all connected here but so it's not to say it in it needs to um, not be developed with considerations to these other aspects but fundamentally I think from a political standpoint it needs to be a, a, I would love to see it as a separate entity for us to discuss and take apart without having because i think in a lot of cases in the u.s if this gets discussed well maybe not but i was going to say that the the environment will fall to the side to to be pushed aside with people debating all the other topics in here and and you can already see that in the hierarchy or in the prioritization of the listings now i wanted to actually push back a little bit on that because i do agree i i think it is actually honestly done based on hierarchy but then again th there is no actual clear stipulation that um ooh, uh that uh uh that the order of things are are an indication of the priority because if you have things that are equally important that you think are equally important how do you put them on the list at the same time you always ha one has to fall before the other right i think i think in this case you have nailed it on the head and, and and it, I don't think the environment part of this is in there to as a priority. I think it's in there to get the environmentalists on board with everything else. But I, I just wanted to point out that, yeah, yeah, a list can be created, mm -hmm. obviously, mm -hmm. um, that has things that are priorities, but they can't be all listed as number one. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, like if that was the case, then it'd be like, you know, in no particular order of significance or there'd be something like that. Some or, wording like that. I don't know. Amongst all but the other just wording. like, yeah, yeah, like when you're talking about how, um, you know, that there's been no socioeconomic mobility in the U.S. Like to me, you have to be completely blind to what is happening in the world if you think that there's no socioeconomic mobility in the U.S. or, or North America where you can't go from being poor to rich in one lifetime generation. So th like to me, that's so patently absurd because 
when you look at the rest of the world where you literally have dictators and oligarchs that are running total systems of commerce within countries that's where you truly see no economic mobility when you're the poorest of the poor everything is run by a select few people and there's absolutely no way for you to get on top that's not the case in north america that is absolutely not the case you have the ability within one lifetime within one generation to make a fortune for yourself we've seen countless numbers of people do it in front of our eyes from jeff bezos to elon musk uh these guys literally went from zero to like billions of dollars right in front of our eyes we saw amazon grow in front of us like it's unprecedented not everybody can do it it's tough but that's what it's true social economic mobility is about and for you to say that that doesn't exist then in like the, the the part of the world where that's probably like at its greatest it's just so blind and so dis disingenuous like uh, it just blows my mind that that's even something that uh, people can say when there's literally half the world trying to escape their country in order to get to the u.s for opportunity for economic and social opportunity people are literally dying in order to get to the west for those opportunities and yet you're saying none of that exists a, yeah it's, just... it's a lack of perspective <laughs> a huge lack of perspective and maybe this is the the wrong the phrase like you know more money more problems but i feel like this is kind of you know this plays a role i would i would think in in western um why we're in this some of these issues are arising is that like to your point of of we are in a better place than uh a lot of other places on this planet and to that extent you have now the ability to to <laughs> almost think about this in this in this in this messed up way but you lack because you're in kind of a, a better place and you don't even realize that because you were born into it and you go okay you know i'm not being you, yeah yes perhaps there not perhaps i i i think there are ways that we can increase the um equally uh, equality of opportunity for people at the lower end because it's still it is still very hard it no you know those 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 specific individuals that can go from rich from dirt poor to rich are few and far in between right like those are really rare cases and so i think there is uh an, some things we can do to create opportunities more at a level that are, is fairer for people i don't necessarily agree with what the universal um living income part of it might not be the because it goes back to like throwing money at the problem and I think that there's something that has to happen when you're younger. You have to you have to work. You have to put in work. And a lot of people aren't putting in work. And a lot of people just want things given to them. And I think they have are entitled to things in some some specs. Aspect. And I, I feel like I'm painting. Huh, I'm getting into dangerous territory of painting things in a very broad brush. But I'm trying to get to the root of like what that problem is. And I started out by talking about perspective. And I think perspective plays a huge 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 role in it so it's like mm -hmm. okay yes relative to another part of the year of this planet you have such um you have such privilege <laughs> oh shit i just said it and <laughs> yeah. and so then it's like but 
um, does that completely negate your ability to complain and ask for a better system? I think no, but it also, you need to, there needs to be some humility with it. There needs to be, and I think that some recognition, some recognition. of what is already in place mm-hmm. and the value of it and how it didn't just fall into place mm. randomly. It happened due to a lot of energy and a lot of work that led up to it. So it's not like the, like these things came into being arbitrarily. Yeah, and I, I feel like there are two, there are two in a broad sense, there are two camps here. There are those who look at the past and see all the heroes and all the amazing things that we have been done to achieve where we're at. And there are those who look at the past and critique it for all the corruption and all and 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 say we've gotten to this point and it's actually we're we're worse off for it. And so it's like these two polarizing um, examples of like how we got to this point. And it's like those both camps could benefit from from um, from a from a, a collaboration and perspective on 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 what the points each side have you know are making here. But it's like you, it seems like very polarized to those. It's like, you know, I can't even listen to this guy. You know, he thinks everything's messed up and I can't listen to this guy. They think everything's okay. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh man, you know, what are we exactly, gonna do? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it begins tough to have any legitimate conversations when people can't even agree on the, the fundamental premises upon which they view the world, right? Like you said that, like it comes from two different camps where like two people are, are seeing that, you know, the product of our current state is due to, uh, years of, um, you know, the rich taking advantage of the poor, or is it a different story of people trying their best and falling short, but nonetheless still getting better and better um, towards the ideal? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm of the second thought that people are trying, striving for the best, and they've slipped up along the way, but. Um, we have learned along those slip-ups, I think. We have learned. And one of the things that we've learned is that we don't want state ownership of the distribution of goods and services. This is something that's been really pushed in this legislation, and I can't begin but to just, again, say how bad of an idea this is and um, in order to integrate it into environmental legislation, I think is just, again, dilutes the whole message when, when you have things let me literally quote this bit that they say that um, providing and leveraging mm. uh, funds in a way that ensures that the public receives appropriate ownership stakes and returns on investment again it's about public ownership which sounds good it sounds good right like and that's that's the thing about these these pitches from these socialists and communists. It always sounds good. Public ownership, yeah, like we own it. But no, no, public ownership means the government owns it. It doesn't mean you own it. It means the government owns it, and that means the government gets to decide what they should do with it. So instead of you deciding or the people deciding what they should do with it, the government becomes the ultimate arbiter of truth and knowledge somehow. Yet, do they have more data? Do they have more evidence? Do they have more information than the rest of us? No, they do not. Yet, for some reason, they are given this power in order to decide these things um, and get their, their, their investment, right? They're putting money, so that means we own you. So that's why AOC can go off and tell Tesla, 
No, you have to operate your business like this. No, you have been taking advantage of our system. We need more public ownership of Tesla. Who the hell are you to have public ownership of Tesla? Hmm. What have you done to what what have you done to build that company up? Who who are you to then come in? Somebody comes up, builds a company, and then you want to stick your greedy, filthy hands in there and grab that piece of the pie? You disgusting, commie. Like, it's just so gross. It's just so gross. And then it's all under this illusion, this guise of, oh, it's public ownership. It's for the public good. And that's how they get people. That's how they get people that don't realize the deeper implications of what's being said. It's, it, it always has this nice allure. That's the thing about communism and socialism. It always sounds nice. It always, oh, it's for the public good. It's for equality. It's for uh, a life living wage. Yet they didn't neglect to mention that when you increase that base living wage, when you increase that minimum hourly wage, what that does is that small businesses can no longer afford to pay their employees. So those employees now make zero from making minimum wage, which maybe they were kind of sort of getting by. Now they're making zip, zero, nothing. So what does that mean? That means you pay them as a government. So you as the government comes in and pay those people that are unemployed. So now you own them. Again, it goes back to the government owning you. That's what it's all about. The government owns you. That government owns businesses and they decide how things should be done. AOC doesn't have to live up to her standards. She doesn't have to actually use the New York bus system or metro system or the cabs that she's such a proponent of. She can go off and call up an Uber and live her life of privilege, true privilege. Meanwhile, the rest of us take the bus, take the metro, whatever we need to do to get by. And yet she can stand on her high horse and call people for uh, doing things that she doesn't agree with, yet she does herself. It's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, so dealing with people like that, that are putting forward things like this is just uh, as somebody that is a proponent for moving the needle towards greater environmental sustainability i agree again with some of the premises in this document but when it's muddied with such absolutely ridiculous bits of communist rhetoric you just can't have a, a legitimate conversation uh, with these people um and and that's why Nobody has backed this publicly. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty sad. Um, and and uh, again, like getting back into some of the uh, communist rhetoric, uh, ensuring the Green New Deal mobilization creates high quality union jobs, paying prevailing wages, hire, hires local workers, training advancement opportunities, uh, guarantees wage benefits. Uh, parity for workers affected by the transition, guaranteeing a job with a family-sustaining wage, adequate family medical leave, paid vacations, retirement security to all people of the United States. What the hell does that have to do with environmental sustainability? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, it, do, it doesn't, right? It's, yeah, it, it's, I guess it's, at this it's point, also, yeah, we're, yeah, we're repeating, we're repeating the same thing. But and, and uh, again, it's interesting. Mm. So the closing, the closing point, point O, O. I think it's, it's a really interesting. It kind of like summarizes everything um, really nicely. And again, shows the true prioritization yeah. of the Green New Deal. Point yeah. O. So let me, this is what they end off. This is good. Providing all people of the U.S. Uh, uh, high quality health care. Number one, 
Number two, affordable, safe, and adequate housing. Number three, economic security. Number four, clean water, clean air, healthy, affordable food, access to nature. So again, our clean water, clean air is at the bottom of the list. And this is your Green New Deal. Come on. Come on, man. Yeah. It's pretty sad. So yeah. I think I would be correct in speaking for both of us here that uh, urging anybody in the United States who wants environmental change, good environmental change to happen, to not uh, settle for an omnibus, uh, sorry, an omnibus bill like the Green New Deal just for the sake of, of getting some environmental um, uh, bonus, points bonus points from your friends. From your friends, no, not even, or just for the sake of getting some environmental um, movement into government. Don't settle for that. Demand more. Demand, demand a detached bill or request to to address the environmental problem as its own thing, as its as a separate thing. Mm-hmm. I think that that's key. And actually, uh, and just to touch on that, just going back to the IPCC. Um, a report on climate change, right? Which was kind of like the basis upon which this whole thing was built on, right? That it was used as the 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 defining logic that the IPCC re- released this report saying we need to uh, maintain global temperatures from getting above 1.5 degrees Celsius mm. within uh, 10 years time, 2030, right? And yet the solutions posted within the IPCC report, I can guarantee you those solutions have nothing to do with labor, wages, and socioeconomic equities, and wage stagnation. I can guarantee you, if you look in the IPCC report, they're not talking about solutions in those types of manners. They're actually um, giving solutions um, such as the inclusion of nuclear reactors for providing baseload energy demand, right? Or using um, decentralized nuclear power systems. I'm forgetting the term now, but uh, that's uh, going to be in about 20, uh, in about 10 years, uh, by 2030, 2035, Canada wants to be a leader in um, small scale nuclear power plants that can be used for mm-hmm. remote locations in, in the north because that's one issue that is prevalent in Canada is that because the country is so big, people live in wide communities that are separated from central power sources. So the question is, how do we get power to these remote communities? Well, now there's these um, essentially decentralized nuclear reactors. You can think of like essentially take your huge nuclear power plant and uh, break it down to a much smaller scale. And we can use these things throughout communities in order to power them. So, and, and these are like legitimate technologies that are being developed right now and I show great promise. And yet, like stuff like this is not discussed at all with, with a policy like this. So, you know, that there are legitimate uh, solutions that are put in, put in the IPCC report. But again, it's like they, they wanted to use the reference IPCC. Okay, so we got the environmental guys on board. Look, we referenced IPCC 1.5 degrees, 10, 10 years. But then none of the solutions that are actually posed in the IPCC, then the tangible solutions are actually in there except for like oh we need power grids okay great 
power grids. Yeah. Yeah. What about your energy storage? Power grids says, okay, let's use energy storage, but our energy storage isn't even developed enough to the point where we can sustain the power that we need for the the, the huge demand that we have to deal with. And yet you're using power grids. It's easy to just say a word and make things go away, but yeah. when it comes to actually doing it, th that's where these people fail and they will fail. Words are cheap, and I think it's very clear in this Green New Deal that the omission of certain technologies or, or systems is intentional because they either have controversy associated with them or they don't agree with them. And we don't know what the answer to it is, whether they are adamantly against it or they don't want the controversy that surrounds them. I mean, smart grids, there's nobody who's who thinks it's smart. There's not, it's not controversial. Like, it's like, okay, we can put this in, we can slide in this specific detail in the strategy because we know everybody's on board with a smart system. But so, well, there are still security concerns and cyber attacks and that's still kind of, I think another issue actually with smart grids, yeah, that's, that's like totally that's outside of this as well, is that using yeah. more smart grids, <laughs> then okay, you're using more telecommunications, yeah. more signals, more, um, which means more electronic communication between your devices in order to give signals back and forth. Right. Okay, I need power. Okay, no, I don't need power, right? That's what a smart grid is, constant communication back and forth. But that means there's more cyber susceptibility in order to attacks from um, other other countries, other nefarious or people, organizations, whoever it might be. So there, there are th those types of concerns still and that smart grids haven't actually solved yet. Mm. So again, we're, we're trying to bring in this technology, 100% application by 2030. And, it, and yeah, it's not even been fully fleshed out to have for these cybersecurity concerns. Like, and, and believe you me, there are going to be cybersecurity concerns and they are not, um, and they, they have not been fully, I, I can say with almost a 100% certainty, even though I don't even know the technology, mm. but I do know enough about cybersecurity to understand that it is a knowledge or as a field of expertise that your average Joe can get, like a proper hacker can pretty much know what they need to do in order to get through certain systems. Uh, and the military, for example, has been hacked by every everyday hackers. Uh, they've had their military vehicles hacked by every everyday Joe Schmoes. So if the military can be hacked by everyday Joe Schmoes and have their military vehicles remotely controlled by, uh, by these random hackers, then I'm guessing our smart grids are gonna also have some sort of susceptibilities as well and not this and uh, i can't imagine them having the same level of security or funds to develop security around them that the military has it'd be tough <laughs> it'd be tough so yeah problems there's, there's <laughs> yeah, problems with it yeah just uh, yeah. all that to say that just saying smart grids doesn't just solve the the, the problem at hand um so yeah, that, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add with uh, this this episode, Green New Deal. Um, I think we touched on a lot. Yeah. We we just went in on the whole uh, Green New Deal from top to bottom, from the general issues that we had with it. Um, some of the things that we agreed with, you know, we're cleaning up uh, air, clean water. Sure, great promises, but just it's lacking on some of the tangibles, some of the concrete things. It's lacking on. Um, really staying uh, with a concentrated message. 
it's got too much different things going on with labor laws and socioeconomic equities and as opposed to trying to push a unified message of environmental sustainability it leads to kind of a more washed out random message of hey we have something for everyone that everybody can kind of use but meanwhile it loses the, the, the potency of the centralized message. So that's kind of the, the take on Green New Deal, I guess. I agree. That's a, that's a, that's absolutely right. And I, I feel like, you know, going back to my point that you shouldn't settle for these omnibus uh, bills because they will continue to be used in politics as a way to pass things that people don't like by combining it with things people do like right mm-hmm. and i don't have it's just so I'm, gross yeah i don't I, have a solution right now but i, I, I oh, the want to just split it up split, is that, <laughs> split yeah it up. demand is splitting it's it up splitting. just split it up demand that we don't put omnibus to get bills like, together it should be unacceptable you know? to have these policies that are just all encompassing uh, yeah it's like oh if you want this and you got to have this this, and this 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 it's like no i just want this i don't want all this other stuff too so yeah yeah. That sucks. Well. Anyways, uh, that was First Principles Podcast, the Green New Deal, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Oh, and let us know what you think in the comments. Please share, please like, all that good stuff. Easy. <laughs> <laughs>